0: Last week, we were unable to finish our topic. We had come to the word respectable in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And there was this big overarching question that we asked that we were unable to answer with the time that we had. But the overarching question was, if God is so big and strong, which we believe the Bible does teach that he is, that he's capable of doing his own work, that he is capable of fighting his own battles and spreading his own glory, then does he really need our help? Does God really need us to live holy lives in order for the job to get done? So hopefully by the end of this we'll be able to answer that question, but we believe from scriptures, we looked at a passage out of Psalm 111, I believe it was last week, that that basically answered an emphatic, no, he doesn't need our help. His righteousness is on display. His works are great. His might is what is seen and felt throughout the world. Not ours, not our righteous living, not our perfection. Instead, we hide in His. So if He doesn't need us to, quote-unquote, do the job, but continues to use us, then the question should be, why? The reason why I think it's important for us to ask that question is because it might give us a different motivation for living for Him. Yeah, I don't know if you're like me or not. You probably are like just about everybody else on the planet. We need motivation to do certain things. Even the person that says, I have no motivation to do anything, is motivated by comfort and ease to not get off the couch. There's a motivation underlying everything. We're all driven by motivation. So what I'm hoping to do is for us to, to evaluate under the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, what motivates me to live my life? And if, you're not the one motivating me to live my life, then what should, what does, where am I failing? And so when we come to this word respectable, which is one of the descriptions that, again, Paul is looking for, he's coaching Timothy, saying, Timothy, you need leadership for your church. We're going to have other uh, uh, um, assemblies to build. This is going to launch, uh, you know, and continue the kingdom of God. And so we need to make sure our leadership is intact to make sure it's strong. We're not looking for perfect people, but we're looking for people that at least have these uh, character qualities as a bare minimum. And so uh, uh, the many things that we've discussed already, the one respectable is one that I think gives us pause to stop and say, so what does God really Mean by this because we get all kinds of demands for respect in society today You see almost every genre of culture of entertainment and everything is demanding some sort of Respect and when they don't feel like they're getting enough they respect themselves They host their own award shows and they give themselves their own accolades and stuff. Why because there's this this deep hunger and craving I want respect so if we're not careful We could put the church under the same description of the methods of gaining respect because God's obviously saying it's good for us to be respectable people. So we have to be careful about how we go about garnering respect, how we go about um, attributing respectful behavior to the people that we would follow. Remember, we talked about that uh, the word has been translated respectable, the original word, but also of good behavior or well-behaved. But for our terms, that we're going to talk about is when Paul says, Timothy, go out and find respectable men to lead your assembly. The Bible is really making the point that these are going to be men that have a well-ordered life. So remember, we're making an immediate application that this is looking for the leadership of the church. That's what the text is teaching. But the broader application can still be made for us. Are men the only ones being asked to have a well-ordered life? Absolutely not. And so we want to make this application as broad as possible because, we, because I believe that the scriptures would call all of us to strive for these standards, whether we have any aspirations of having an office in the church, You know, the figurative kind of uh, position of elder or pastor. Whether or not we really intend to do any official leading, the Bible does call all of us to lead by example. And so is there anything wrong with all of us being challenged by this phrase, a well-ordered life? Last week we picked on just a few areas and I started with what I called the least important and moved our way towards what I figured was just about the most important. Remember, we talked about how outward appearance goes a long way for our effectiveness for the gospel. And it isn't an outward appearance in such a shallow fashion. that means you got to have your shirt ironed and your hair combed and that kind of outward appearance. But being concerned from an external perspective, how you're being received and perceived. So to put it in, in, in sort of a, uh, an illustration, I guess, if you will, is that person that says, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care if you think I'm harsh or if you think I'm lazy or if you think I don't care. That mindset, that attitude has no room for the person that Paul is describing first and foremost to lead his church. But even more so from a broader application for the people of God to say, I don't care what people think of me. So to go to that extreme of saying, I don't care at all how anybody sees me, how I'm received is just laziness. And it's sinful. And so when we talk about how to be respectable people, there's one aspect of this that we have to be concerned with the external. And remember last week we talked about how it almost sounds a little ungodly to say, well, wait a second, in church you're saying that you have to keep up appearances? Kind of I am. But we also said that we were going to balance this off today. We also hit our disciplines and we talked about the fact that that uh, God is reminding us through Paul that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so that which has been given to us by God needs to be taken care of. And so in our physical discipline to have some sense of saying, OK, I can't just say, I don't care what happens to this. We're all going to die someday, so I'm just going to treat it the way I want and then whatever. To understand that God has given us this body in this life as the temple of the Holy Spirit for us to to protect it and and to care for it as much as is reasonable. And it's that reasonable part that I hope to help us out with today. But also there was an education standpoint, a mental rigor or a mental discipline that we talked about. Remember, Paul told Timothy to be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. So the kind of, well, I don't need to study a thing or I don't need to know anything more about God. It's just me and Jesus and I just know he loves me and that's just it. So I can just check out and as long as people see that I just love Jesus and he loves me. But there is, especially in this day and age, there is becoming an increasing need for us to get sharper and sharper in our understanding with who God is for one, what is he doing across this globe and then what is our part in it? And those things don't just fall in our laps. Because the world is getting more and more confused. When the world walks further and further and further away from the truth of God, they get craftier in their explanations. They get trickier and more convoluted in their denials of who he is. And we need to be able to wade through those things to not just check out and say, well, people will understand that when the church is seen as the church of love, and that's just about emotional this and that and going and putting coats on this and that and and, and doing those kinds of things, and that's all, it'll take care of itself. That's all we got to do. But Paul reminded Timothy to be sharp, to not forget the things that he learned as a youth, to remember that his foundation comes from the truth of God's word. As a side note to that, I'm I'm amazed at how how much easier and easier it is becoming for us to get bits and pieces of the Bible. For us to have reminders to read our Bibles. For us to have things available to us through smartphones and all these other things. And I remember when we were having an Iron Sharpens Iron event for the men several years back, one of the little things that they had launched was an app that would kind of ping you every day with the verse of the day. And I was just, and when that happened, I was just like, okay, so it it can't get any easier, you know. It, the Lord is probably up there going, guys, what do you want me to do? Just kind of like flick you on the forehead and then put the verse right there. Is that what it's gonna, you know? I'm I'm sending it through AT&T. How much easier can I make it? And and we have got to a pl- a point where we have become uh, intellectually lazy mentally lazy. And I believe the Lord is challenging those of us that would aspire to being respectable individuals to up our discipline in that area. It will count and it will be effective. And remember, working our way from least important to most, I said that how people see how we love one another, how we reach out to one another, how we obey the scriptures, especially from Romans twelve eighteen, that says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. As much as you have control of peaceable existences, we we have to be weary of the person that we want to follow in leadership of the church is the same person that cuts people off in traffic or yells at people in the grocery store line or something because their rights have been violated. That peaceable person is the one who is going to be followed and respectable. And so somebody, as much as it is possible, as much as it rests on them to make peace with those around them, But just as I said last week, if we're not careful, a hyper application of any of these points could turn out to be disastrous. Imagine someone thinking that all that God wants from his leaders is some clean cut look, some really wicked, intelligent brain or some mushy, lovey, dovey persona, someone who just loves on people and loves on people and you just can't knock them down because they are a doormat as the day is long. If that's all that God wanted in any of those individual scenarios, could you imagine what would happen to the direction of the church? If we took either of those things in light in isolation and said, okay, we're going to find the best looking people because we want some credibility out there with the with the image crowd. So if we just have the sharpest you know, pastors or we have, you know, the, the best looking buildings or we have any of those things, if that's what we're going for, to set an image forward. We hear this all the time from the prosperity uh, peddlers, which is God will be impressive to your friends if your things are impressive, if you yourself are impressive. That's what makes God impressive. But what we find over and over and over again is the individual is elevated and, and the supposed blessings of God are really boiled down to the same thing that anybody who's motivated enough could achieve. So it can't just be a hyper-application of looks or outward appearance that way. Or if we just follow the smartest person in the room think in our church context here, the most intelligent person in the room, what we're going to end up with is someone with that overinflated sense of ego that says the answer is always available. If you have a problem, we can find the answer just like that. And 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 really, does life work that way? I hope it doesn't because a lot of you have come to see me <laughs> sitting across from my desk and I just give you one of these like, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, either you've overwhelmed me with the situation you've got yourself in or the tragedy or the dilemma is so great, what human being could ever have an answer to get you out of something like this? And we struggle because the most intelligent, brainiac thing is not what makes leadership strong in the church. So we certainly don't take a vote and say, okay, who are we going to follow? Well, who's got the highest IQ? What about the person who's the mushiest and I'm just using that word to pick on it but that person that that is just so you know it doesn't matter everything is just there's there's nothing that hugs can't solve and that person is just pouring out with all of those emotions and everything is that person typically the most stable like in a point of crisis not necessarily Usually that kind of emotion means that we're going to follow it and go up and down and all that stuff. But all of those things working in concert in the body of Christ have a tendency to balance us out. But looking at these things in isolation and saying, I'm just going to overapply these things because Pastor Brent said uh, something about being um, concerned about outward appearances. So I checked off the last two things and I'm just going to go and get into debt because I'm going to up my word- wardrobe. It's time that people start recognizing God within me looks this good. Or maybe I'm just going to go hit the books and close the door and I'm going to be in a year of hibernation while I get smarter and smarter because I'm sick of not having the answers. And when I get out and burst through that door and I'm as smart and as sharp as a tack, people will be like, wow, God's really alive in this guy. Or maybe no matter what my opinion is, no matter what I think truth is smacking me right in the face, I'm just going to hug it out. Because that's all that I need to do is just just deal with it, You swallow hard, keep moving forward, because all that's needed in this life is a hug. It throws us off. Things don't really get accomplished that way. And besides, if we're over-applying those things in that way, we're going to have some troubling passages of Scripture or counterbalances, if you will, to deal with. The first one I'm going to mention, counterbalances our talk about appearance. Lest you think that all I'm talking about is sharpening up your outside image, I want to share with you an example from the Scriptures who led the charge at announcing that Jesus was coming, and his name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, though while maybe intentional is some of the speculation, John the Baptist dressed in rags, and he ate bugs and honey, which got stuck in his beard. Beautiful picture, right? John the Baptist is described as this, kind of like this, this wild man. He was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, and he's yelling to everybody, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was his sole mission. His purpose for the reason he was born was to be the vocal mouthpiece that Jesus was coming at any moment. And he did it to great effect, but he looked trashy and horrible doing it. Now, the reason why some people speculate that his look was by design was because it was a protest in a sense of not conforming and doing all those kinds of things. So John might have been the original hippie, which is kind of cool to think about. So here's John the Baptist being a, a standoff, kind of put a, putting off kind of look and character, blowing up my whole model. And what does Jesus say about John the Baptist? He's praised as, a, as, as the greatest man to ever walk the earth. Jesus' own words. Think about all the saints. Think about the writers of Scripture. Jesus singles out John the Baptist with all of his disheveled appearance, with all of his kooky behavior. And he says, among men who have ever walked this earth, none has been greater than John the Baptist. So remember what we talked about with life being a balance? You're thinking in your head, okay, I've got to do some more to keep up with the Jones, or I've got to think more externally. I've got to make sure I'm being received or perceived the right way. And then we throw in this one anecdotal thing that Jesus is like, this guy over here had it right. So what do we do in our culture? We say, well, if that's what I've got to do, then I'm going to grow the beard and start eating the locusts and the honey. And I'm going to start acting crazy because Jesus said he's the greatest man to ever walked the face of the earth. You see, I'm exaggerating, but that's often what we do. We just get convinced of something over here. Someone throws us another and we go, whoa, that's what I'll do over there. But we're going to have to keep coming back to how the passage of 1 Timothy was set up for us from the beginning. I talked about how it's important for us to take care of the physical body that God has given us as we recognize that it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I also talked about how uh, we should sharpen our minds and study harder in order to be more respectable. Paul, in the same letter to Timothy, even just a chapter after the one that we're using as our foundation, said this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Yes, there's a caveat there. Paul did not say bodily discipline does nothing, so stop doing it. But he's putting it in perspective for Timothy. He's saying, yes, go find respectable people. Go find people that have a good reputation. Go find people that are living good, clean, holy lives. But the person that's showing off or the person that's so overly disciplined or so focused on the here and now, they're not really accomplishing as much as they think they are. Bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for everything. You think about this real quick, is if if bodily discipline... You know, I, I'm amazed at how many runners end up in hospital beds. That's why I don't run. <laughs> no, I just hate it. Um, that's just my excuse. Because a lot of people that eat Whoppers end up in hospital beds, and I don't stop eating those, so that's just my excuse. But... Godliness makes an impact for the person that's done everything they can physically and still ends up in the hospital bed. Do you see how godliness goes the extra mile where bodily discipline can't? In our culture, in our day and age, we make it all about if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. That is not true for the believer. Godliness reaches all of those places that our physical focus cannot It goes to places and fills in cracks that we could never see, trying to do all the things that Oprah's taught us, trying to do all the things that the exercise gurus have taught us, trying to eat better and all those sorts of things. They are important for us to do to respect the fact that God gave us something to take care of, but they only go so far. Remember, I talked about getting sharper and and getting smarter. And what happened to the apostles is as uh, they were... Uh, uh Peter and, 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 uh, and James, as they were out there giving out the gospel, as they were out there uh, sticking their necks out on the front lines. They were uh, right out there for everybody to see as they preached. And what happened? As they observed, they being the crowd around them in Acts 4, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. And begin to recognize them as having been with Jesus. That amazement is another great reaction for those that want to be respectable. Could you imagine there's no more height of respect than someone being amazed at what you just pulled off? And that's what they were able to gain in that interaction. But... They were uneducated and untrained men, more specifically to the culture of the observers, the observers who expected the Greek philosophies and all the other things to be just nailed down and all the disciplines and the trainings and everything. Those things weren't there. And so Peter and John were seen and perceived to be undisciplined in their mental rigor. And yet they still gained respect. So it was the sharpest guy in the room, the sharpest girl in the room, Going to be the one that just naturally gets everyone's respect, not necessarily. Instead, those that have been with Jesus. I told you also that we have to live at peace with everybody around us, that as people see our relationships, that's what's going to encourage a, a respect that is going to be obvious and is going to be needed if you're going to lead in the assembly of God. But Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's a little confusing. I'm supposed to live at peace with everybody as much as possible, but yet Jesus, in the very words of Jesus, which we know are important because they're in red, says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his folks and his friends, and his siblings, and all he he, he, Don't even try. Can't even follow me. All of these contrasts should give us pause. And yes, I'm picking out extreme examples to make the point. They should spell out for us that we are not going to know how to lock down areas of respectability perfectly. If you go back through our last few months in 1 Timothy 3, what you're going to see is an overwhelming sense of balance. What we need to develop in this life. Remember we talked about that high wire act that it feels like you can't, once you take your eyes off of where you're going, once your balance bar starts getting a little shifted and that sort of thing, you're going to feel that wobble. It's, it's the people that make it, the people that are most effective for the cause of Christ are the ones that, yes, still feel the wobble, still feel that temptation to fall off, still feel that temptation to look off to the side. But as soon as they feel that, because their body has been so trained to feel that little twitch, they course correct. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that allowed me to come right back to the center of my gravity, which is found in the truth of the gospel. So what begins to happen here is the person that is pursuing balance more than any of these individual focuses like like uh, outward appearance or getting smarter or just being the best, most romantic person or something like that. What starts to happen is as these circles start to overlap one another and people start taking a, a disciplined approach or a balanced approach to just getting a little further in each of these areas, you start to gain respect. Now, I'm not trying to sell you like an infomercial. It says, if you just do this, this, and this, you'll get respect. And isn't that what we all want? But remember, we're going back to the list that Paul is saying, it's good for us to want the office of overseer if we are so led that way. But if we're going to be, you should be a person that is respectable. So in order to be respectable, just having a disciplined balanced approach in any of these areas. Lord, I I don't know what God's calling me to. I don't know what you're calling me to, to to focus on how I'm being received or perceived. But I think you've shown me this and this. So I'm just going to move in that direction over there. And, and I don't know if you're asking me to be an intellectual egghead and to, get the, to be, raise my IQ, but I do know I need to step up my discipline in this area. So I'm going to get a little bit more intelligent over here. I'm going to get a little bit more ready to answer from a defense standpoint of the gospel that lives within my heart. And, and I don't know, Lord, if you really want me to hug in all circumstances. Probably not. But I know I can be a little less abrasive. I know I could be a little bit more willing to open up emotionally or to to show what is best for the people around me and to show love in that way. So as I'm doing those things and those circles start to come together in my life, people around you start going, wow, I wish I could do that. What what led you to do that? What changed your life? What changed your perspective on that? And you go back to the calling, I just want to be effective for the Lord. And he showed me these areas that I was a little slack in. And so I'm starting to pick those areas up. The best in any of those directions is out of balance. The best in any of those directions, just in isolation, leaves people behind. God's not asking you to be the best in each of those isolated areas. So why is it so important for us to get better? Why is it so important for us to see a list like this and say, okay, Lord, I will do it. If God is strong enough, and he's capable enough of doing it himself. Why would he hold such a high standard? It's because we reflect him. God is order. God does command respect. The world may think they don't have to respect him yet, but they will. We reflect God's image to the world. It is our duty and privilege to be the mirror image, if you will, to be the outward example of who God is. Can you believe it? I'm always amazed at how he would use us, flawed, wayward individuals, to promote his glory and to promote his fame. But yet he does, and so it is our duty, it is our privilege. And also, I think, one of the reasons why God would call us to these kinds of things is because doing the little things that we can control, many of the things that I... Listed are things that we would have a pretty obvious plan right in front of us and say, okay, I can set out to do that. I'll try harder and do that. Doing the little things we can control strangely gives us greater hope to face the things that we can't control. So much of this world is outside of our grasp. So doing the little things that the Lord's put before us gives us uh, not a distraction, but it gives us a goal. It gives us something to sink our teeth into knowing that we're still accomplishing His work For us and through us, even while the rest of the world is just spinning around us, things that we can't define, things that we can't change, things that we're not even sure how to handle. God wants the heart of his children to care enough about their role as an ambassador of Jesus Christ to evaluate the areas of their life where greater care needs to be applied. Philippians 2.15 sums it up well and says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. How you're received, how you're perceived, your habits, your relationships, don't just affect the world, how the world sees you. If you claim to follow Christ, it affects how they see him. Gene Getz, the author of The Measure of the Man, said it this way. He says, a respectable man, I would put also in there, a respectable woman, is somebody who lives in such a way so that their total life adorns the teachings of the Bible. Their total life. God doesn't need well-dressed robots running around to prove his goodness, but he uses our lives to better relate to the human race. People do look to us to see God. So the question is, are you man or woman enough to step up your game in order to better represent your king, to strive towards being somebody who is respectable. This morning, we're cutting our time early because once a month we ask our men to stay behind. It would normally be next week, but uh, this week we uh, need to do that for a number of reasons. So what we're going to do is have a word of prayer and dismiss. I'm going to ask our ladies, if you would just give our men uh, 10 or 15 minutes in this room alone so that we can see a video message and, and be challenged. Um, If you're new to faith, I'll explain this when I have more time. It's really nothing uh, unique or or strange that we're doing. We just once a month want to get our men and and, uh, have their undivided attention as much as possible. Uh, So, ladies, we would appreciate a pretty quick exit. Um, Children's Ministries is ready for this. They're expecting this. So hopefully you won't be held up. Let's stand and pray together, if you would. Lord God, we thank you. For using your word to challenge us and to change us, Lord, I pray that each and every person would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in a way that encourages them, in a way that challenges them. Helps us, Lord, to move to the next level of living and sacrificing for you and for your kingdom. Not because we need it to make you happy, but simply because it is our gift back to you for giving us so great a salvation. Because we live in amazing grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Men, would you please stick around?